It's podcasting time! Welcome to another episode of Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan, the podcast where I talk about something related to Japan. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, probably some other places. And make sure to share it with people. Family and friends are the best, but enemies are acceptable people to share it with too. Frenemies are maybe okay too. I mean, your dog, if he or she's a particularly good boy or good girl. So today's episode's a bit of a light one. School is finally starting up for me. Um, my classes will all be online starting on Monday, but, you know, I guess that's today when this episode drops. But yeah, this week, I'm keeping the show a bit light for my own sake. And this week, I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that's music. Specifically, I want to talk about Japanese music. I mean, this is a podcast subtitled Dispatches from Japan. Gotta keep the customer satisfied. Bring back that Simon and Garfunkel reference. Yes, it's a good song, so it deserves a reprise. Go and listen to it. Um, anyway, Japanese music. Uh, I should say popular music in Japan. Traditional Japanese music is a whole nother kettle of fish, and that's one that I could also talk about, but that's not what I want to talk about today. So I think it's fair to say that a lot of Westerners, I mean, I, I might even go so far as to say as the majority of Westerners, don't really know a lot about Japanese pop music. I mean, if you're of a certain age, you might remember Sukiyaki, which was a number one hit back in 1963 in the US, Canada, and Australia, and it reached number two in the UK. So a lot of the English-speaking world heard this song in the early 60s. It was one of the few non-English language songs to reach the top of the Billboard charts in the US, and it was the only one sung in an East Asian language, or any non-European language for that matter, until Psy's big hit in 2012, Gangnam Style. Now, the funny thing about sukiyaki, sukiyaki is a Japanese hot pot dish. The song's proper title is Ue o Muite Aruko, I Look Up As I Walk. There's nothing in the song about sukiyaki, or anything about food, in the song at all. Now, I've heard a couple of versions about the reason why the song got dubbed sukiyaki. Uh, one is that it simply was a Japanese word that many Americans would be familiar with, and the other I've heard is that an American record exec couldn't remember the proper title, and sukiyaki was one of the few Japanese words that he knew, and so the song got dubbed sukiyaki. Now, it's a classic in Japan. You know, it's one of those songs that almost everyone knows. You know, it's got a pretty melody, and it's got nice, if, you know, somewhat melancholy lyrics. Um, they're about looking up and whistling to stop from crying. It's a song about loss. Now, interestingly enough, the lyrics, they're deliberately generic, so they could be about a lost love, but it was actually written after a protest failed to achieve its goal. So it's actually about a loss of, you know, purpose, a loss of meaning. But yeah, it's it was written generic intentionally, so it could be about any sort of a loss. But yeah, uh, the song was made popular by a singer named Sakamoto Q. He was the, the most famous version is his version of it. Um, he might actually be another interesting subject for a short episode someday, along with the song. And he has also has a connection to U-Body. You know, if you go back to a previous episode, check it out. If you haven't yet, learn about U-Body and some coal mining problems. 
But yeah, Sakamoto Q had a connection to Yubari. So he did an annual charity program in Hokkaido to benefit children who were affected by polio, which apparently um, was a big problem for the children in Yubari. And Sakamoto Q himself died tragically, uh, along with 519 others, in the deadliest single airplane incident in 1985 when the Japan Airlines Flight 123 crashed into the mountains of Gunma, a little bit outside of Tokyo. So like I say, maybe someday I'll come back to Sakamoto Q and talk about him and, and that song. So yeah, I look up as I walk. So after that, I mean, there's really no Japanese popular music that kind of made it big outside the country, really. But Japan is a huge music industry, even if it is almost entirely insular. I mean, so what kinds of music are big in Japan? Well, right now, the airwaves are ruled by groups of about a million each. Okay, maybe it's not that many, but boy bands like the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, that kind of boy band, not Beatles boy band type boy bands. So yeah, boy bands are big. Um, they're kind of dominated by two talent agencies, really. Um, there's Johnny's, and then there's Exile and all their stuff. So Johnny Kitagawa, that's I mean, his, his actually, his, he has a Japanese name, but he, he was known by Johnny, by everyone. So yeah, Johnny Kitagawa was an American-born talent manager um, who built an empire of boy bands with groups like Arashi, Smap, Tokyo, dozens of others over the years. And usually the groups are somewhere between four to eight members. They're not usually the strongest singers. They were, you know, not absolutely wretched singers either. But, you know, most of them, I guess it's a good way to put it, is if they were your friends at karaoke, you'd think they were pretty good singers, but not good enough to be professionals. But, I mean, that's not why they were chosen. They weren't chosen because of their singing. They were chosen to be idols. So teen idols, essentially. They were just supposed to look pretty while being able to sing and dance a little bit. Most of the time, the groups are not playing any instruments. I mean, there are a few exceptions, but most of them are just singing, and they're not even singing harmonized uh, melodies. They're just singing in unison. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Kitagawa made a fortune on groups like this. And I guess if we're going to talk about Johnny, we do need to at least mention that he was accused of improper acts with some of his young talent. Um, The allegations of plying the boys and young men with alcohol and cigarettes were thrown out as defamatory. But the more serious allegations of sexual misconduct were found to be not defamatory. So, yeah. I mean, I guess there are a lot of record label execs all over the world with kind of questionable morals. I mean, it's not a Japanese thing. That kind of seems to be a lot of places. But yeah, Kitagawa, he died last year in 2019 and was basically lauded as a pioneer and almost a demigod. It was kind of disgusting, to be honest. Even, you know, even if he didn't actually do anything bad in a legal sense, I mean, that he may have, but he did an awful lot of bad stuff to Japanese popular music, to be honest. Because, I mean, really, the, the all the stuff on the label, I find it really just not good. I mean, there's Exile, which is the other kind of boy band conglomerate. Uh, Exile is another boy band, though they have a very different approach. There's actually about 20 members of Exile. The majority of them are not vocalists. They're actually dancers. So they're actually like a stage show as much as anything. They tend to be edgier 
than anything from Johnny's, though, I mean, a marshmallow is probably edgier than anything from a Johnny's act. So it's not really a high bar to clear. So like I say, Exile, it's been around for about, this group has been around for about 20 years, and they have their own production company now with their whole stable of artists and groups who all kind of fall into that same umbrella, you know, large groups with lots of dancers, edgier songs, edgier with scare quotes. I mean, they're both, they're, and there are both boy, boy bands and girl bands under the Exile umbrella. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I forgot to mention that, but Johnny's is exclusively boy bands. Uh, but yeah, Exile and all the Exile groups, you know, there's J Soul Brothers, Generations from Exile Tribe, and E-Girls, and God only knows what else. They're all really popular with my university students, you know, both the guys and the gals like them. So yeah, th- those are big. Yeah, and then there's the giant elephant in the room for anyone who knows about J-pop. And that's AKB48 and its million sister groups. So AKB, which stands for Akihabara, is the area of Tokyo where both electronic stores and maid cafes are a big thing. Um, So yeah, AKB48 is a group of young women. Um, Some of them, I guess we can probably still call them girls, um, yeah, they, they, they have a theater in the Akihabara district and they all dress up alike, often in school, go, school girl uniforms and sing again in unison, these super sugary, vapid pop songs, mostly to crowds of men. So yeah, if that description makes you feel a little uncomfortable, you're not alone. AKB 48 is kind of creepy. Um, the young women aren't allowed to have boyfriends. I, mean, I, I wonder if they can have girlfriends. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, I never thought about it, but I mean, I'm sure some of the young women involved in one of the groups have to be lesbians or bisexuals. I mean, just given the percentages of people who are some variety of the LGBTQ plus community. But yeah, yeah, the, the, they're, they're not allowed boyfriends because I don't know the details. They may may or may not probably not allowed girlfriends, but you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, AKB 48 Anyway, it's the brainchild of this dude named Akimoto Yasushi, and dude has made bank. There are now six of the something-something 48 groups, and then there's another four of the something-something 46 groups in Japan, along with nine something-something 48 groups in other parts of Asia. So Taiwan, I think China, I'm pretty sure Korea at this point, Jakarta, I think there's a new one coming in India... Yeah, there, there's a lot. So, I mean, all of the groups have 48 or 46. Okay, well, the original group, the original AKB48, actually has more than 100 members. I mean, what the actual... Mm. Yeah, but anyway, there, there are these giant groups. And all the groups sing very similar songs. Honestly, I cannot tell one group from another if I just hear them. If you see them, you can kind of sometimes know because they have different visual, you know, costume styles. So there, there is some difference in their look, but their sound, I cannot figure out how to tell them apart. They really, really all sound alike. And I generally, I hate that argument. The, oh, kids these days, well, all their, their, their music, they all sound alike. I mean, usually it's not a valid argument. I mean, but even for me, someone who is willing to admit that most of the time, if you actually sit down and listen closely, you will start to hear differences in the various groups. Even me, I have a hard time distinguishing 
an AKB48 song from an NMB48 song from a Nogisaka46 song. Frankly, yeah, they all sound the same. But, I mean, it only makes sense, really. I mean, with so many voices, there's no one lead singer. There's no one voice to go off of. And the producers of the music are all the same across all the groups. So I can't even with all these groups. They just, like I say, if you hear them, I don't know how to distinguish them. And I guess we also, let's talk about some of the weirdness slash creepiness that comes with these groups. So yeah, like I say, the big one, the no boyfriends thing I mentioned. I guess the idea is to let fans imagine that they have a chance with their favorite idolu. I mean, yeah, that term gets applied to both the boys and the girls. But yeah, I mean, the idea is that the fans can get close to these young women, which not surprisingly has led to some of the young women having to deal with stalkers. Uh, One member of the Niigata group, I think it's NGT48, she had to deal with a really dangerous stalker situation a couple years ago, and she basically got blamed for it by the management. Um, Apparently management wasn't doing anything, so she went to social media to talk about her situation, and she promptly got thrown under the bus by management. And she ended up apologizing. She apologized to the fans for causing such a commotion. So that's shitty. And then there was the young woman who, oh no, was seen leaving the house of a young man. It became like this big scandal and the young woman shaved her head in penance. I mean, quick, quick side note, shaving your head in penance is a pretty common thing here in Japan. A friend of mine did that like way back when he was younger. He did that after he got caught drinking and driving. So yeah, this young woman, you know, she she was in her prime, she's in her prime dating years, you know, She might have had a boyfriend. Maybe she just wanted to get laid. Maybe she just went to hang out with a dude who was her friend. I mean, yeah. Someone saw her leaving his house, his apartment, and she got punished. And I'm not saying she was forced to shave her head. I mean, punishment can come in many forms. But, yeah, I mean, that was a big thing a few years back. Generally, the conditions for these young young women are not good. A few of them... You know, after they graduate from the group, they go on to bigger things, you know, acting, solo careers, though, I mean, again, they're not selected for their singing talents, so there aren't a lot of them being successful musicians after they graduate from their AK whatever 48,000, but yeah, there's a lot of stress and very little money for the majority of these young women, or at least according to the reports in the newspapers. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Then there's that whole Nazi uniform thing. I mean, one of the other groups in the whole gaggle of girl groups in this AKB48 sister group thing, one of of those groups, uh, yeah, they they had an outfit that looked an awful lot like the Nazi Waffen SS uniforms. Yeah, that, that was a thing. Now, admittedly, Japan is not so good with knowing the history of Europe in World War II or any time, really. So so it's not really that surprising that it happened, but yeah, that that was a thing. So this whole AKB48 enterprise has been going on since 2005, which I looked that up and said, oh, wow, I got to Japan in a pre-AKB world. Wow. And it just does not seem to be slowing down. The business model is an absolutely genius model in a very evil genius sort of way so there are these handshake events where fans 
can get a chance to shake the hands of some of these young women, some of these idols. Which has led to a few members being attacked by crazy dudes. And yes, it's it's always dudes. To get the tickets to these handshake events, fans have to buy CDs. Actual physical CDs. So some fans buy literally hundreds of CDs, you know, with the hope of getting a ticket. In most of those CDs, of course, they're copies, so they end up in the garbage. So, hey, we're also killing the environment. Yay. There are so many creepy things about the whole mess. Oh, yeah, one last thing about AKB48, and then I'll move away from the topic. So I need to preface this with with a disclaimer that, I mean, there's some dispute about exactly, you know, how the exact veracity of this is not sure, certain. But I have seen it show up in several sources, so I think it, at least it bears mentioning. Supposedly part of the concept behind AKB48 was to make a group of young women who are not the cutest in their, cla- in their class at school, but like the third cutest. At least third is the most common number you'll see. I guess the whole idea, you know, it goes along with the whole no boyfriends idea, so, you know, fans think they'll have a chance with these young women. Like I said, Akimoto, the dude who created AKB, and, you know, he knows his audience and is kind of an evil genius. Dude makes bank peddling fantasies to horny otaku while strictly controlling the lives of hundreds of young women, all while pushing this super sugary, indistinguishable pop music on the masses. So, yeah, that's AKB and all their bazillions. You know, so them, along with Exile and Johnny's, they make up, like, at least half of the responses I get from my students when I ask them who their favorite band or artist is. Which, you know, it's a damn shame, because Japan has so much else to offer musically. Now, a lot of the Japanese music I like is a lot older, which, I mean, makes sense given my age at this point. You know, I'm not really listening to the newest music from any country at this point. I mean, sure, yes, I listen to some new stuff from Japan and from other places, but mostly I listen to older stuff. You know, having a young kid and a full-time job kind of does that to a guy. So, while Japan has this bubblegum pop that does seem to be the dominant force... There's a rich history with a lot of really interesting and cool music, you know, stuff like YMO, Yellow Magic Orchestra. If you know the name Sakamoto Yuichi, or Yuichi Sakamoto if you want to put it in the other order, he's the guy who composed the soundtrack to the movie The Last Emperor, among other movies. He's done a lot of stuff now with classical composition as well. So he was a member of the late 70s and 80s uh, synth-pop electronic group uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra. Now, I highly recommend, if you want to check them out, start with the song, like, uh, Rydeen, R-Y-D-E-E-N, or Metropolis. Those are two of their kind of classic hits. Oh, sorry, sorry, not not, uh, Metropolis, I mean Technopolis. That's the title, it's called Technopolis. If you're more into, like, kind of pop punk, you can't go wrong with the Blue Hearts. They're kind of the Japanese answer to the clash. Um, Linda Linda is a good place to start with them. Uh, Shonen Knife. They got a little bit of airplay in the U.S. They're also kind of in the punk vein, the rock and roll vein. Uh, If you like kind of a later pop punk, um, I'd say start with Mongol Hapyaku, Mongol 800, uh, Mumpach, as they're known here affectionately. Uh, Ella Garden, also good if you like kind of pop punk. Uh, Then my personal favorite genre was uh, called Shibuya K. And uh, it's kind of electro-pop-oriented sound, you know, stuff like Buffalo Daughter, Chibomato, Pizzicato 5. 
they all got some airplay in the U.S. back in the 90s, uh, along with Cornelius. Uh, he's kind of the, the big name in this micro-genre, Shibuya K. But yeah, even if you're into more modern Japanese music, there's a lot more than just the AKBs and the Arashis and the Exiles. I mean, even if you like really poppy, poppy, super poppy J-pop stuff, there's a lot of good stuff that's better than, than AKB. I mean, Perfume is one that I highly recommend. They're a group of three women who do some really smart kind of dance pop with an electronic tinge. Um, Kari Pamu Pamu also makes some really odd and fun stuff. I don't think she, she hasn't been as active recently, but... She was a fashion blogger, and she had this kind of very odd aesthetic, uh, lots of skulls and other slightly morbid imagery. I mean, on this is on top of very Japanese kind of cutesy. I mean, I hate to say, but like, look at you know the Gwen Stefani, um, Japanese Shibuya, not Shibuya, um, Harajuku, Harajuku, Harajuku girls. There we go. Kind of that image, but with skulls and morbid imagery on top of it. That's Kari Pamu Pamu's uh look uh so yeah she and she hasn't been as active recently but kind of interesting um yeah it's it's still it's very poppy but there's kind of this slightly dark undercurrent to a lot of it you know especially if you watch the music videos so yeah that's that's interesting or charampodantan there's a sister duo that brings some gypsy jazz influence into j-pop the older sister plays an accordion and I don't like their super poppy stuff, but the songs where the squeeze box is prominently featured are a lot of fun. Um, and then there are always singers like Utada Hikaru, Ako, you know, so even if you're into like super pop, poppy music, there's a lot better options than AKB48. Now, like I say, if you go like some good old fashioned punk rock and more modern than the stuff I mentioned earlier, if you like the DIY, there's a lot of really good super independent stuff. Uh, so there's one one I've got turned on to recently, Otoboke Beaver. They're named for a love hotel in Osaka. But yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. You know, they're what's known as a girls band here in Japan because they're all women. So Japan's still a little weird about stuff like that. But yeah, well, uh, so these women rock hard, and they seem to be doing a really good job of turning the idea of what a Japanese woman should be on its head. You know, they're. They, they usually wear, like, dresses, very girly-looking dresses. But they, you know, they don't care if they show the world their underpants while screaming really loud, a punk rock, you know, very unladylike. You know, notice my verbal scare quotes here. Yeah, so they're, they're a lot of fun. Um, and one more artist I recently got turned on to is uh, Haru Nemuri. And she does kind of this pop music with a very rock and uh, electro influences i guess you could say but yeah a, a lot of interesting stuff so even if you can't understand the lyrics there's a lot of good japanese you know groups and japanese musicians out there you know don't think that all japanese music is j-pop there's a lot of j jazz as well japan loves jazz you know and i haven't even gotten into j hip-hop the electronic stuff as well you know not the super commercial stuff you know the dj crush is the ken ishis of the world so if you're interested in Japanese music, I do recommend checking out The Needle Drop on YouTube. He's a, Anthony Fantano, is a, he reviews a lot of music. He reviews a lot of different genres and different styles of music. But he also does a fair number of, you know, Japanese uh, artists that he features and talks about. You know, he's how I learned about both Otoboke, Beaver, and Haru Nemuri. Uh, you know, and I know he really liked the Kyari Pamu Pamu record a few years back. So like I say, he's a big YouTube figure. 
so he doesn't need your subs, but, you know, go check him out. You know, I tend to enjoy his reviews, even if I don't agree with him always. There's things I like he doesn't or things he likes I don't, but I, he, I think he just, he's an interesting reviewer. So, well, I think I'm going to stop there for today. I could say I could go on and on and on about music stuff, if you couldn't tell. Um, you know, I just love music and I love talking about it. I love sharing music. So let me know if there are any Japanese musicians that you like that I missed. Or if you love AKB48 want to tell me I'm an idiot, please do that too. Or, you know, if you can tell me how to distinguish AKB48 from all its sister groups. Not not visually, but, you know, auditorially. Aurally. A-U-R-A-L-L-Y. Tell me how to distinguish them, please. I'm open to hearing. I can't figure it out myself. I need help. So, anyway... Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, share, sneak onto your friend's phone or computer or whatever, you know, do it for them. Just help the podcast out. And as always, you can find the Twitter for this podcast at JustAnotherCast. You can email questions, comments, suggestions to JustAnotherJerkPodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, you know, just search for JustAnotherJerkPodcast on Facebook. You should be able to find it. And like, follow the page over there too. So on that note, I'm out. Peace.